0: Welcome to the Three Winds Podcast, brought to you by Legacy Advisory Partners. My name is Sean Leiden with Leiden Communications, LLC, and I'm the producer of the Three Winds Podcast. Today, Russ Klemmer, the president at Legacy, speaks with Terry Parker, founder and chairman emeritus at National Christian Foundation. They talk about the advantages of giving through donor-advised funds and how the joy of giving is not necessarily found in the amount of money you give, rather, it's found in the significance of the impact you're making with that money. If you want to learn new strategies for smart charitable giving, you don't want to miss this episode. If you find this type of content to be valuable, please hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app and please leave a review. This will let us know what you think and also help others find The Three Wins. Now on to this next episode of The Three Wins Podcast.
1: Hello again. My name is Russ Clemmer. I'm with Legacy Advisory Partners here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm joined today on the next episode of The Three Wins Podcast with founder and chairman emeritus of National Christian Foundation, Mr. Terry Parker. Thank you for joining us, Terry. Glad to be here. So a little background on Terry. Terry is a brilliant mind and leader and developer of what's called the Donor Advised Fund. And I don't want to say you didn't have any help along the way, but certainly there was something that God put on your heart when it comes to generosity and the right way to be generous within Mm -hmm. the legal and tax construct of, of what's available to people who have money to give and to support and donate. And so what we talk about in the three wins, Terry, as we've discussed before, is if we can get the shareholder win defined, the corporate win defined, and the key leader non-owner win defined, then generosity takes on a different shape. It's not just we want to give, but now we understand how much we have to give, where we want to give it to, who we want to give it to, and it's a different story than just Well, I guess I'll give this, but I'm not really sure if that's the right number. Everybody can understand, business owners can understand what that generosity opportunity can really be. And so from a generosity perspective, there's not too many other folks who have pioneered and done as much to organize that for other Christian folks to be able to give in this capacity. So today, I'd love to hear your background and some of your story. And then your journey through this donor advised fund, National Christian Foundation and other things you've been a part of and really just kind of glean some of those stories that I've heard informally from you and be able to share those with the
2: audience today. OK, well, it uh, it's fairly easy from the beginning to describe what happened. Um, I won't go into too much detail. I was the attorney for uh, Larry Burkett and formed Christian Financial Concepts when he went on the air. Uh, I formed um, Ron Blue's organization, uh, which originally was called Christian Financial Management, by the way. Okay. And then uh, Larry was not for profit, and Ron uh, was going to be for profit. And I think some pastors got together with Ron and convinced him that he needed to not use the name Christian in a for-profit business, and he changed to Ronald Toronto Blue and Company. But what happened was, in my law practice, um, I began to um, have contact with individuals who were beginning to understand that God owned it all, and they, they really wanted to be good stewards, and to be good stewards of what they'd been entrusted with, they, they wanted to give. And they wanted to give in a tax-efficient way. And um, along the way, I had an individual that wanted to give $80,000 to um, the Atlanta Community Foundation. And he wanted to have them support uh, workers at Campus Crusade for Christ and Young Life and InterVarsity. And they wouldn't do it. And I went and talked to Alicia Phillips, who was uh, the longtime president of Atlanta Christian Foundation, and asked her why they wouldn't do it. And she, I said, are you against religion? And she said, no, we're not against religion, but we just don't want to be involved in religion. It's too complicated for us. We don't understand it. And uh, religion needs to take care of itself. And so she asked, she she was the one that actually put the bug in my ear, and she said, why don't you form your own community foundation for Christians? I said, oh, gee, sounds like a good idea. But there weren't any community foundations for Christians. There were denominational foundations. There were some other foundations, private foundations that seemed to be supporting Christian organizations. And I wanted to do two things. I wanted the donor to be able to Um, of course, take a deduction, but I wanted the donor to be able to tell us, the Christian Community Foundation, where to give the money, you know. And while we were holding it, I wanted the donor to be able to tell us where to invest it. And that gives a lot of control to the donor. And as I did my research, I, I had a Master of Law in Taxation, so I knew something about taxation. And I realized that the IRS could challenge the gifts and that the donor, with all that control, might not get his deduction when he gave us the uh, money. And so and I, I began to devise what is now known as the Donor advised Fund. Now, we didn't have the first one. They were around uh, mm-hmm. since about the 1930s. Okay, Um, But they they were not around in the same way that I wanted to do it. And um, I didn't want to have a fight with the IRS after the fact, where some of my donors would be challenged and maybe lose their deductions. So I applied for what's known as a private letter ruling. I went to the IRS and I said, here's what I want to do. Can I do it? And my donors get a deduction. It took us a year and a half um, I got the private letter ruling in the spring of 1984, and it pretty well outlined um, everything we wanted to do. It was the first, as far as I know, the only private letter ruling on donor-advised funds that the IRS has ever issued. Uh-huh. Um, and we were off and running, and um, it, it, it was done by word of mouth. It was my client and Ron Blue's clients and uh, Larry Burkett's acquaintances and contacts. And those were the people that initially used uh, NCF. Um, We were not that big. In 1992, 10 years later, we had probably $40 million. Um, We ran, I don't know, maybe a million dollars a year through the foundation. And then something really exciting happened. I got a call from New York City and uh, Fidelity Gift Fund was forming. And uh, they knew that, Fidelity knew that we'd been doing it. Um, And we had a private letter ruling and the lawyers for Fidelity wanted to talk and I went up to New York. We actually formed a group. We called ourselves the Working Group. It was the Lawyers for Fidelity and Schwab and Vanguard and Northern Trust and the Jewish Federation and National Christian Foundation. And we began to develop what we call best practices, mm-hmm. and um, and then I that helped tremendously because as you know, Fidelity advertises like crazy, uh, and as Fidelity and Schwab and Vanguard began to advertise, I was able to tell people, "Oh, we're just like Fidelity, <laughs> only we're Christian-oriented." <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So yeah. it helped us a, a lot. And then it really began to take off. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and what what's interesting is that um, it was kind of an alternative to a private foundation to start with, where somebody could get the public charity status and not have all of the uh, adverse rules that you have with private foundations, self-dealing, uh, excess business holdings, um, Jeopardy investments, all kinds of things that could happen to you um, with a private foundation. You didn't have to pay the two percent tax a year, and because you were in a public charity, and yet you got pretty much everything you wanted out of the donor advice fund, except a few other things that we handle later, like paying salaries and things like that. We do that in another way. But uh, businessmen began to realize that this was a great vehicle mm-hmm. to be able to get deductions and postpone the giving and to give you an example uh, I would have people that come to me and they would say I started making widgets in my garage you know 15 years ago and now all of a sudden I've got a big company I got a hundred employees and it's really worth a lot of money and and I uh, but I need some deductions because I'm pumping a lot of money back into the business, but I got a lot of income and I'm paying a lot of taxes. And we figured out that somebody could, for instance, take their warehouse that they built when they first launched and uh, it cost them a million dollars. And they were able to depreciate it over a 10 year period. So they're getting $100,000 a year in depreciation. But now there's no more depreciation and the building's worth 2 million. And I would say to them, why don't you give us the building? Why do you want to keep owning the building? Just give it to us. And you get a $2 million deduction. And you can spread it over six years. And basically, it's kind of like double dipping. They got to depreciate it for 10 years. Now they're going to get the deduction for six more years, only on a larger amount. right? And they still occupy the building. And then not only that, they pay rent to us. And that rent, it comes in tax-free. That's a special exclusion under the tax law. And so the, what they were paying in rent was going to charity because we we didn't keep the money or use it. We just put it in their donor advice fund and then they give it away. And, uh, and that way they could effectively give more than the 10% they're allowed to give a deduct as a corporation because it's rent. And it's deductible as rent, not as a contribution, but in effect, it's a contribution. And we had a whole lot of things like that we could do for people. And uh, it began to really take off. And I was practicing law in a large law firm when I started. I came out of the uh, JAG Corps, the Navy, uh, Judge Advocate General after I graduated from college. It was Mm -hmm. was Vietnam time, and I went in the military. Um, But I wasn't like most of my friends that had to go over to Vietnam. I actually was stationed in America. Mm -hmm. But I came out of uh, the military and went with a large law firm. And then four of us who all had, um, our wives had Bible studies together, all Christians. We formed a law firm called Parker, Johnson, Cook & Dunleavy back in 1975. Um th- we grew to about 40 lawyers. We merged with Womble Carlisle up in New York, up in uh, North Carolina. And uh, by the time um, I was really considering what should I do, continue to practice law or run NCF, we had 200 lawyers. And so in 1995, uh, I went to my law firm and I said, I'd like to give up my equity interest. Um, but I I need an income because I'm going to run my foundation. I'm the only I have one employee, Mary Carol, um, and, but my foundation doesn't have enough money to pay me. So my law firm continued to pay me about a fourth of what I was making in '94. They began to pay me in '95, and as long as I would keep my clients there uh, and bring in new clients, I didn't do any legal work. But the, they paid me for eight more years till. Um, 2003, and in 2003, I went full-time with NCF and began to draw a salary from NCF. But in that period of time, that's when we grew. Um, and by, night, by 2003, I, I, I remember the biggest year we had, um, I prayed about it because I needed money to, that was going to sit there for a long time so I could afford to hire a uh, staff i needed a president a ceo i needed a financial person i needed a um, hr person and and god sent uh, 267 million dollars uh in, in 1997 and each one of the people that put in the large amounts of money told me that they wanted to be a partner with NCF and they were going to leave it there and give it away for the rest of their lifetime. They wanted the joy of giving for their whole life. And um, they didn't want to give it all away in the year they sold their business because it was gone then. I mean, if if one fellow gave us a hundred million dollars, well, if he had given all that hundred million away in the first year, then for the next 20 years of his life, he wasn't really going to have a lot of joy of giving, you know, and He would have had to make a lot of snap decisions, but because he could get the deduction when he gave it to us um he could take the rest of his life to give it away, which he actually did and 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 um kind of a side story is it was only a couple of years ago that that whole hundred million was given away but while I'm holding a hundred million, we get um 1% on the first million, and then it's graduated down to about 35 basis points when it gets up pretty high. Right. So I was getting nearly half a million dollars off of that money. And uh, and I went to him one time, and I said, you know, I feel bad about this. You send out about five checks a year. And we're getting a half a million dollars from your fund. And he said, Terry, said, I, number one, I'm a partner with you. You have a wonderful ministry. Number two, my financial advisor still invests the money. Uh, I don't know anything about investing, so I never invested money. We always used financial advisors, and preferably the donors' financial advisors. Right. And he said we made we made eight and a half percent last year on that money, and you only got a half percent of it. <laughs> he said, so it's not like it's coming out of my pocket. And I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's sort of what kept us going with these large donors, and and uh, that kept their money there a long time. Um, and then because I mean, we never ask anybody to give to us, we uh, even today we don't ask anybody to make contributions to NCF. Uh, uh, Blair Bequette said at the beginning, he said you don't want to do that because then you're in competition with the ministries, and so ministries send us their large donors. And they don't want us soliciting their large donors for gifts. So when Focus on the Family sends us a donor, they know that any giving that individual does is going right back to Focus. It's not going to come to us. So it works out really good. It's a, it's quite a. And then now there's like, I think 600 donor advised fund sponsors in the United States. Uh, <laughs> So it's, it's, there's quite a lot of competition.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's a testament to, you know, you taking an idea that the Lord placed on your heart and digging around and rooting around the right way with the IRS, yeah. not trying to bis- do something. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for businesses, it's interesting. Um, the, uh, in addition to taking property, and, and ministries don't like to take property. I mean, mm-hmm. if folks on the family does not want to own somebody's warehouse. No. So they'll send us somebody that's interested in that. But then you take subchapter S stock. Half of the corporations in the United States are subchapter S, which is taxed in a different way than a C corp And um, you couldn't give subchapter S stock to a charity or you'd, you'd blow the election. You wouldn't be, the minute the charity owned one share, you're, you're no longer subchapter S. But in mm-hmm. 1998, they passed a law saying charities could hold sub S stock. But we're going to make them pay some kind of tax. And the people that started doing it were doing it wrong because they were corporations and they were paying 39% tax. And consequently, the income from the Sad Corporation, only 60% of it, they paid federal tax and state tax. So it was over 40% tax. So the income was that could go to charity was greatly reduced. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I worked with a lawyer up in Boston named Carolyn Osteen and she was with Ropes and Gray, brilliant, brilliant lawyer and tax lawyer. And she designed a way that I implemented for the first time. In fact, I used to give lectures at the Bar Association meetings uh, on charitable techniques to secular uh, lawyers for, for a number of years. But I figured out that and with her help, I'm going to take total credit for it but with her help i figured out we don't want a corporation to own the sub f stock we don't want focus on family or everyone on it we don't want ncf to own it because we're a corporation so i formed a trust the florida trust which is taxed like an individual not like a corporation and i formed it in florida because it has no state tax so now instead of paying 39 percent um federal tax and 6% state tax. I'm in Florida and I pay the um, 15% individual tax. I pay no state tax. And then the Florida trust I formed, which by the way today owns a billion, $200 million in assets. Um, We take the income that comes on the sub S stock and we contribute it to the National Christian Foundation so they're the, the, the businessman's donor advice fund, and we we get a 50% deduction. We can deduct up to 50% of our adjusted gross income. So basically, I reduced their tax to 7.5%. Yep. Down and they can point. give away 93% of it instead of 60, less than 60%. Yeah.
1: That's phenomenal.
2: That's it phenomenal. was really a good deal for the businessman.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, it, you know, it, it begs the question of, you know, you want to be, uh, you want to adhere to Jesus's, you know, command to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But at the same time, you know, it's not, uh, it's not you know, taking away from our obligation to pay taxes. It's just doing yeah. it in a smarter way, Yeah. but also in a way that it, it presents everything on the table. I think that's what is important. So many yeah. times in giving, so many times in uh, you know, advising, working with assets, there's a transparency question, accountability question. Yeah. And that goes back to, to what we do with the three wins. We talk about if you're going to set up these three wins, you got to do it in a way that's virtuous. Yeah. Talk about the eight virtues based on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And anytime you're working with people's money, anytime you're, you're doing things in the name of charity, in the name of giving, in the name of helping those in need, it's a transparency and accountability question. And I'm sure that you've run into that, uh, you know, questions or, you know, you know different things, in, you know, over time. But if, as you've laid it out here on this podcast, you've been able to be able to say, these are the steps we took to put this in place.
2: And yeah. there's no challenge. Really, at that point. Well, and another thing that uh, two other things that people ought, businessmen ought to be aware of. Number one, in '96, we formed an organization called Helping Hands Ministries, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it it's to give to needy individuals, basically, is the okay. primary function of Helping Hands. And we do out of Helping Hands what we call a cap program, charity s, uh, excuse me, a corporate assistance program. And where a corporation, if you're a businessman and, and let's say you've got 100 employees and you've got one employee that has a car wreck and she needs medical expenses. She's, her, she's, not, she's not married. Her husband's died. She's got four kids. So, so she's really needy. If the businessman wants to help her, number one, she's an employee. He's going to have to give her a W 2 on it. She's going to have to pay taxes on it. Number, th- number two, um, every other person in the corporation that's needy is going to come to him. I broke my wrist. I need some help. Or, you know, I've, I've got a, uh, I've got a cancer problem and I, I and he's going to all of a sudden be inundated with employees that have problems. So we do what's uh, uh, called a benevol- corporate benevolence fund. Mm-hmm. And the corporation has a committee. Usually the owner doesn't really participate in the decision. The committee decides who in the organization really is needy and receives applications, the, cor- the corporation gives the money and gives the deduction. The owner can give money and get the deduction to the pot, and the employees can participate at $5 a month or whatever. And when the committee decides that somebody's needy, they let Helping Hands know that, Helping Hands qualifies the person and pays the need, and it's not taxable to the employee. And uh, anything given to the fund is deductible to anybody that contributes to it, whether it's the employer or the employee. And I think I think last time I talked to Brian Green, who runs it, uh, Helping Hands, um, there were about 290,000 employees under the CAP programs of Helping Hands, which is a really good, um, it's a good vehicle for businesses Businesses to use not only to help their employees, but to help the owner fulfill what they feel like God's intending them to do with the with the assets they have. And then another thing an employer can do, and this came to me a long time ago, when um, the rather wealthy guy in in California had had uh, supported, uh, I think they called it Proposition Eight, a marriage is between one man and one woman, was on the ballot in California. And, of course, they found out because, number one, he supported it through his private foundation, which has to reveal who they give to. They have to file a 990 that tells who their recipients are. Yeah. But, number two, the charity revealed who were their main supporters. And they were throwing eggs at his door, and they were... Uh, uh, giving him flat tires in the morning when he came out to get in his car, putting signs up in his yard that he was a bigot and just terrible stuff. Yeah. And uh, he opened up, I said, you know, why don't you just open up a donor advice fund and do all your giving and through that. And then nobody knows who he, who he gives to. All they know is, and they've written articles about him because he's still a pretty well-known person Mm-hmm. And uh, they say, "Oh, he gives to NCF, and NCF is the biggest supporter of of bigoted, right wing, homophobic uh, organizations in the world, <laughs> which is which we are." And but they they don't know what he gives to; they only know what we give to, right? And, right. And we have large corporations that uh, it, it's been publicly, it's been made made known publicly that. Uh, chick-fil-A does a lot of giving through National Christian Foundation, and some people yeah. would like to know what all they give to, and nobody can find out because they know what they know they give to us, but they don't know what what uh, part of our gifts are attributable to them and uh, so that's been a real benefit to businessmen
1: yeah but but that goes both ways too right it, it, anybody that wants to take advantage of that feature no matter what your political or, or, right, no matter what your religious or political, you know, leanings are, that's still true across the board. It's not just for, but it's anybody that wants to be able to take advantage of that feature.
2: Yeah. And we, uh, we have a lot of private foundations that open up accounts with us. They do most all of their giving through their private foundation, but occasionally they don't want somebody to know what they're giving to. They use us. And I have one individual that, is probably repeated more than i even know but he's a friend of mine and he told me he said you know i i said it must be fun being in the grant making business he said i'm not in the grant making business i'm in the grant refusing business he said i got 3600 applications for grants and i granted 150 and he said a whole lot of those people i'd love to give to but if i give them $10,000 and uh, then I don't repeat it the next year. They think I hate them. And they come back and want, what happened? Don't you like us anymore? Did we do something wrong? And the answer is no, but I just wanted to give you one gift. And yeah. And so he gives us every year, he gives us like three or $4 million. Mm-hmm. And then sometime during the year, we'll, he'll, he'll give us a list of 25 or 30 organizations he wants to give to, and we make anonymous gifts to them. They don't know it comes from him, and he's fulfilled what he feels like he really wants to do. They aren't coming back the next year for an, uh, another uh, gift uh, with an application for another gift. And so, we, and then another thing we do for private foundations is they have to give away 5% a year. And I was talking to one fellow from Tennessee, and he said, I've got to give away $3 million every year. And I have a hard time doing it. And my wife and I even forget about it. And we come up in December, and our accountant says, oh, you got to give away $500,000 more, or you're going to be fined because you haven't given away your 5%. Well, they can give that to their donor advice fund at NCF, and it counts toward their 5%. And they don't have to make a snap decision and they can wait until later to to give the money away. So it's another yeah. key for a businessman.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly is a it's a tool for those who have excessive, you know, amounts of money to give away and they want to give it away in a in a strategic way. Right.
2: Right. But it,
1: really I think the word strategy is key. It gives the opportunity for the giver to understand the needs of those around him. The yeah. those, those of those who have been put into his Uh, sphere of influence, her sphere of influence. And and you're able to, instead of just getting it off your plate and just checking the box that I've given the money away, you're able to really take some time and energy and put into that. How do you guys help? um, Or do you have a, a, you know, a a sister or brother organization that helps validate uh, the, the recipient Uh, the ministries or different, you know, charities that are, that are receiving the money. Do you, how does that work? Do you, do you guys go into that length or not?
2: Well, no, we don't do that. Um, But, but most of the large donors that we have will use like Tom Conway or who does that or uh, Al Muller with excellence in giving and, uh, and like excellence in giving will Tom will go over to, Africa and see how that million dollars was spent, and and come back and report to the private foundation or the giver rather, um, right? Whether their a, a giving was affected. It's really funny. I, I there's a a, a a couple of funny stories that that can sort of um um I guess spotlight. The problem, <laughs> one friend of mine is a administrator for a private foundation, and he was giving to a um, orphanage in, mm-hmm. in uh, South America, Brazil. And every year he would go down to Brazil and he would check out the orphanage and come back and do a report. They were giving like half a million dollars every year. And one year he went down there and he went to the building where the orphanage is and there were nurses and the kids in the rooms and the playground and stuff like that. and Everybody running around. And and then he went back to the airport and he, oh, I forgot my briefcase. So he got his uh, and his taxi, went back to the orphanage to get his briefcase and the building was vacant. (laughs) And what happened was every year these people would put on this show you know, bring kids in. It looked like it was really an operating orphanage and it was a nothing. They were just taking the money and keeping it. <laughs> and I had another friend who was in India and he had, there was an orphanage they were supporting over there and it was a four story building and they were having to hoof things all the way to the fourth floor and up and down all the time. And, and it was just a real pain in the neck because they had uh, the activities going on on every floor so he said well, I'm going to put in an elevator so he put in an elevator and then he went back a year later and he wanted to see how's the elevator doing they said oh we really we really love it and he they, he went over to where the elevator is thinking he could he would be going up to the fourth floor and they opened the doors well the elevator had gone uh, electricity had gone out and they blew fuses and the elevator was just wasn't working at all and they were using it for a trash chute. <laughs> and everybody up on the upper floors were throwing their trash down the elevator and would come down to the first floor and they could gather it up and take it out and get rid of it. And he, So he put in a quarter of a million dollar trash chute. <laughs> so, you know, the donors can not, you know, if they don't pay attention, they can get taken for a ride. The, you know, the problem we had in, in Haiti when they had their earthquake, we probably sent spent sent ten billion dollars to Haiti. Hardly any of it was used for the purposes intended. And if you go to Haiti, it's still the most poverty-stricken place in the world. Right next door is the Dominican Republic and it's doing great. But Haiti's so full of corruption that we stopped sending money to Haiti. We wouldn't, well, we didn't care who it was unless it was Samaritan's purse. They were they were boots on the ground, and we could prove that the money we were giving them was actually being spent properly. I think we identified maybe three organizations: uh, Convoy of Hope, uh, Samaritan's Purse, and one other one. and And those are the only ones we would give to. If our, if our donors wanted to make a gift to a charity that was working in Haiti, the probably seventy five percent of the time we wouldn't. We'd say no, we're not going to give to them. They're they can't prove to us that the money's really going where it's supposed to be going.
1: And I think that's, you know, in, in such a you, you take these steps ahead, you plan well. You talked about the joy of giving and I want to circle back to that. You plan yeah. well, you take, you know, you take the tools that you've helped create right with other good, you know, brilliant minds jumping into the mix. Uh you you're pre-approved with the IRS, you've got your letter, you've got these big banks up in New York City jumping in and saying, Hey, that's a good idea. I want to learn what that looks like. And you've got money coming in, right? You're doing the right thing, taking care of the ministries that are sending people to you. You're not competing with them. And then all of a sudden, the business person goes through because it's not easy going through these steps. It's a lot, it's paperwork, it's planning, it's research, it's looking ahead and understanding, get your team of advisors around to know how much and when. So you go through all that and then you turn around and find out, wait a minute, the people that I'm giving the money to are, you know, pulling the wool over my eye, they're tricking me, they're deceiving me. That to me is, is one of those where you just have to take that next step because that's really what it is. It's not just enough to write the check. There's a due diligence to be able to say, this is the right thing. And that, and that's what to me, and I think all the listeners as well. You sit there and you work so hard for the money, and then you turn around and you know, yeah. make sure that it's going to the purpose and the ministry that God's put on your heart.
2: Yeah, yeah. Really another is- another person that just came to mind besides Tom Conway here in Atlanta is Calvin Edwards. He's here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and he does that kind of research for people. He has a little organization that does that. We don't do it because we're so busy doing what we do. That's right. We don't right. have time. And, uh, That's right. And uh, we don't want, we, we really don't want to get into into the uh, activities where we have to bill our donors. Right. And and you really can't do that kind of research. Tom Conway obviously has to charge for what he does, but it's sure. worth it. Sure. But we don't want to charge our donors for anything other than the percent we get on what we hold, and that supports us. and. Um, so it's, uh, you're right. It needs, they need to do some research before they make the big gifts.
1: Yeah. Tell us some more stories about the joy of giving. I think that to me that all of this effort that you've put into this kind of, kind of flows back to that statement, the joy of giving, talk about some examples of, of things that people have been able to be a part of. And so, you know, it's good to have a tax deduction. Right, it's good to have all those things to do it in the right way. But what the joy of giving? Go back to that a little bit and, and flesh well, that I'll, out for us. I'll
2: tell you a couple, and then i, I we've got a, some friends up here in our condo. We're all going hiking in about fifteen minutes, so I don't have too much time left. But we'll, we'll cut it off as soon as you're ready. <laughs> One of them that's interesting is I met a fella who um, we we he was at a conference that I was at, and uh, I think it was a generous giving conference, and he said, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. He said, I've got these documents here. Um, I've, I've got an estate worth $70 million. And my, my accountants and my lawyers tell me that if I sign all these documents, I can pass everything down to my children tax-free. I want, to look, I want you to look at the documents to see whether it'll really work. And I looked at the two packages and I said, you know, this is one of the largest law firms in Denver. And this is one of the big four accounting firms. And I said, I don't need to read the documents. I'll guarantee you that with with this kind of, of, of with these kinds of organizations drafting these things, it's going to work. You sign these documents, you and your wife, you can give it. But I said, I got three questions for you. The first one is, if you sign the documents, everything's transferred down to your kids tax-free and you die and you're facing God, He's going to say, What did you do with the $70 million I entrusted to you? The only answer you can give him is I gave it to my kids tax free. And if you think that's the answer God wants, go ahead and do it. Now, maybe that's what God wants you to do. I said, The second thing is, since your kids now have a, a significant interest in everything you own, if you, if God's leading you to make a really big gift to one of your favorite organizations, you need your kids' permission. And he didn't like that. And I, I said, the third thing is, I'll bet you anything, nobody's talked to you about the fact that you're creating probably twenty five million dollar uh, uh, estates in each one of your children. And what if they die before you do? They're going, they can't take advantage of all the stuff you're fixing to do. They're going to have a giant estate. And he and he said, no, nobody's talked to me about that. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know if they will or not, but I. It, you certainly have to look all the way down the line. And he took the two documents and he threw them in a trash can. <laughs> and he said, what do I do? I said, well, the first thing you do is with all estate plans for very wealthy people is how much you want to give your kids. After several months later, he, he told me he decided to give them five million each and went ahead and gave it to them during their lifetime. And he said, I said, what are you going to do with the other 55 million? He said, well, I'll, I'll give it away at my death. I said, why don't you? Why don't you have the joy of giving? Give it away now. What do you need $55 million for? And he said, the joy of giving. And so we went yeah. into the scriptures and saw where God talks about the joy of, of giving and of helping other people. And and so since that time, which has been about 20 years ago, and he loves to tell the story, he tells it all the time, but he's been engaged in giving and he just gets all excited about it. He'll call me up and tell me about, oh, I gave him a million dollars and such and guess what they did with it da, 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 da. and he's just having a whole lot of fun doing it and what's interesting is that the 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 fifty five million he had left keeps growing one time he called me up and says, "It's growing faster than I'm giving away." yeah, I calculated that he had to give away four hundred and fifty thousand a month before he died in order to get it down to zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he call, His wife called me up and he sa- and she said, I, I doubled all the charities, the six charities I really love, the homeless shelter and focus on the family and, and inner varsity. And she said, I doubled, then I tripled, then I quadrupled. And she said, I've given them each a half a million dollars, but what do I do now? Do I just give them half a million dollars again and then again and then again? And so they've had a hard time really. Struggling with that, like, is do I just double or triple the same ministry that I want? And so I I told her, I said, you know, go get you a a philanthropic counselor and talk about what God's laid on your heart and narrow down what you give to and give it very significantly. Well, to make a long story short, she built a cure hospital in a foreign country. And then, and then it costs you a million and a half a year to fund it. And yeah. they do pediatric uh, work for children that otherwise couldn't afford to have their club foot or their or their um, cleft palate or anything yeah. like that, or a big lump on their head. Mm. And mm. so she has the joy of supporting this one ministry on a regular basis, and uh, and it's really changed her life. So.
1: Yeah, I think the you know, what's interesting is when we follow Jesus and we obey, the obedience has a blessing in it. Yeah. And even if the obedience is hard, even if it's a hard job, even if it's something that we don't necessarily want to do, there's a blessing yeah. in it. And giving is an obedience function. And there's a blessing in that as well, and so the joy of giving seems like that. That's the blessing that you get, the joy out of that. Do you have anything where you've kind of written some different things that we can provide to
2: people on the joy of giving? No, I'm. I don't. I write books for children who have disability. That's about. That's about the extent of my writing. But I have to tell you one other story of joy of giving. And you okay. know, I didn't know this fellow. I know his grandson. Um. His name is Milton Scott, uh-huh. and he formed Scottdale Mills in in Georgia, in the outside of near Decatur, near Tucker and Decatur, Scottdale Mills. Um, and it was a big mill. And it actually, when all the um, and his his grandson David Scott's my good friend, and David took over the business, but he knew his uncle Milton really well, and um, when they uh, when people sent all their work to foreign countries, all the uh, kind of textile business went overseas. They changed and became the uh, Scottsdale Duck and Cordage. They be, they made uh, uh, what do you call those uh, belts, conveyor belts? Yeah, yeah. And which was a really brilliant thing to do. But here's what Milton Scott did. Milton Scott gave away all of his money all the time. He built a house for he and his wife in 1927. And when he had four daughters, the only remodeling he ever did was he took the upstairs of the house and 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 chopped it up into four bedrooms. They only had one bath and his daughters grew up in this house in the thirties and forties. And Milton never never did anything for himself. And what he did was he supported Wycliffe Bible translators. And I found out from David Scott that fully 10% of every Bible translated by Wycliffe over this like 50-year period was funded by Milton Scott. Now, is that something? And he got such a joy out of seeing the Bible translated into the new languages. He was their absolute primary supporter and all he ever wanted to do was to, to do Bibles. And the way I found that out was, my wife and I went on a mission trip to Russia and we, were, we found out from the individual we were meeting with over in Russia that he could put in 250,000 Bibles into the grammar schools in the area where he lived. The Russian government would let him do it because the Bibles had English on one page and Russian on the other page. There were children's Bibles. and But they didn't have the $250,000 uh, because it cost a dollar a Bible. And I came back to my office and not two weeks later, David Scott came in my office and said, my uncle Milton has had died and he had $800,000 left uh, in his account that he used to give away. And he said, I want to put it in a donor advice fund at NCF. I said, fine, we can do that. We'll put it in your, your uncle's name. I said, what did your uncle like to do? And he said, oh, he loved Bibles. <laughs> he liked to give away Bibles, translate Bibles, children's Bibles. So I told him about this guy in Russia, and um, and that's when I found out about how Milton had had done this for all the Wycliffe people, and put them together with a guy in Russia, and he bought all the Bibles for the children in Russia. (laughs) About that, and you know, just he said, "I can't believe you, you know, connected with these people because." This is exactly what my uncle Milton would like to have done with this money. I, you know, I, I, he's got to be smiling up in heaven. And, <laughs> and I thought, wow, the legacy goes on.
1: Yeah, it, it, that really is the, and that's why we chose Legacy as the name of our company is the idea yeah. of being able to take something that uh, you know you've put together, something that you've worked hard for. And it's not really—it's not really a legacy of you and your name. I don't think Milton Scott, for example, you know, wants it to be the Milton Scott legacy necessarily. No, never named
2: anything after himself. He didn't even name Scott Dale Mills after himself. It was his father that started it and named it. So you're right. It's not if—if you point to yourself, you're losing. You're really losing. You got to point to God as the author of all of it. That's it, okay, okay. That's I hope it. you get something out of this for <laughs> I've gotten a ton and I've taken some broadcasting <laughs> and
1: and one one thought I'd like to to follow up on is getting more of thoughts out of your mind, even if I have to jump in and help of the joy of giving some of those stories that's okay. got to be captured. That's got to be captured. F- folks, thanks for joining us, Terry Parker, thanks for joining us on this podcast. Hope you have okay. a wonderful how- hike out in Colorado. God blesses your time. be safe. And I look forward to following up with you soon. And I look forward to seeing you in the fall. Thank you, Terry. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. So, folks, when you get guys like Terry and you get the testimonies and the experiences and the things that they've been a part of, you got to capture them. I and mean, that's what the Three Wins podcast is all about. Being able to take some of their ideas, some of the things that God has taken them through, the financial planning, uh, the tax planning, the legal planning. And really being uh, uh, able to help folks who want to be generous, but also make sure that they're not falling into any traps, making sure that they're not uh, taking steps that are dangerous to uh, their ability to continue to make money, continue to give money. And that really is the pursuit of what Terry's been a part of. And it's great to be able to know him and to be able to share uh, some of his story with you uh, on this podcast and the key is understanding from a three wins perspective, if I plan for these three wins and I take the time to put the three wins plan into my business, then out of it is gonna come, okay, yes, it's gonna, there's gonna be a financial plan for me and mine, right? I can be able to, you know, live and be financially independent and to do different things. In addition, my corporation, my business is gonna be able to be strong and continue on for you know some time. And then, uh, uh, what we you know talked about uh, in the previous episode uh, with Chris Maynard is the idea of a hundred-year business. If if the business is good and if the business is doing the right thing and it's meeting a need and there's a market and you're and you're being able to to adjust and shift and, and with the changes in time and it's a great company meeting you know the the relationship needs of employees and vendors and the different clients and different people involved. That's a wonderful thing. Make sure that corporate win is achieved. And then this this third win, which is really some of the roots of, of what legacy has come out of, making sure you're allowing those who don't own the business, but are key and integral to the continued success of the business, those key leaders, allowing them to win in a way that they're not going to go and and start their own business or compete against you and that sort of thing and and, and dilute the market. What we want to be able to do is to find those three wins. And out of that, everybody involved has the opportunity to participate in the joy of giving, in this idea of generosity. And so uh, when you when you walk through that idea and you walk through those concepts, it's a beautiful thing. If you haven't joined, you know, give us a call and and we'd be happy to, to walk you through that three wins idea. Uh, and to be able to introduce you to this joy of giving concept and this generosity concept. And as you can see, Mr. Parker has been uh, down this road many different times in many different ways. And he's done the homework and he's done the preparation and he's not winging and he's not somebody that's just one of those out there, you know, saying, hey, let's go try this and see if it works. Uh, There's proven case studies. And so, Uh, uh, Thank you for joining us. Appreciate the time. Again, I'm Russ Clemmer with Legacy Advisory Partners and the Three Winds Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful time with this episode, and I look forward to be able to provide you more insights as we go through this time with different guests.
0: Thank you for listening to the Three Winds Podcast. We have links to some awesome resources in the show notes. And if you haven't already done so, please click subscribe so you won't miss any future episodes of the Three Wins Podcast. This is Sean Lydon signing off for now. Until next time, we'll see you then.